Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. the book of Kings, the 19th chapter, and we're going to begin with the 8th verse. Now the background to where I pick up the story here about Elijah, of course, is that he has just now had this great experience up on the mountain, uh, but he ran into trouble with uh, Ahab and Jezebel, and Jezebel, you remember, threatened to kill him. And so now Elijah's on his way out of the country, and he didn't stop down at the border. He ran clear out of the country. He, he went over into Indiana. He just went clear out of the country, you know. Now, here's where we pick up the story. The eighth verse, and I am reading from the uh, modern translation. Elijah got up, ate, drank. The food gave him enough strength to walk 40 days to Sinai, the holy mountain. There he went into a cave to spend the night. Suddenly the Lord spoke to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? He answered, Lord God Almighty, I have always served you, you alone. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed all your prophets. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. Go out and stand before me on top of the mountain, the Lord said to him. Then the Lord passed by and sent a furious wind that split the hills and shattered the rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind. The wind stopped blowing and there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a soft whisper of a voice. When Elijah heard it, he covered his face with his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. A voice said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? He answered, Lord God Almighty, I have always served you, you alone. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed all your prophets. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. The Lord said, Return to the wilderness near Damascus, then enter the city, and anoint Hazel as king of Syria. Anoint Jehu, son of Nishma, as king of Israel. And anoint Elijah, son of Shephat, from Abel Meholer, to succeed you as prophet. Anyone who escapes being put to death with Hazel will be killed by Jehu. And anyone who escapes Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will leave 7,000 people alive in Israel. All these who are loyal to me and have not bowed down to Baal, or kissed his idol. Lord, help us to understand this morning that you're trying to tell us about a way for us to live today. A wife and mother had just talked her husband into redoing the uh, fellowship place and the and sitting place and farm in the basement, and they had fixed the walls and the ceiling and put a beautiful carpet on the floor and her little daughter decided that the painting was not quite finished 
went down and got into the paint bucket and opened it up and spilt it on that beautiful rug on the floor. And about that time, somewhere within that day or the next day, the teacher at school called and said, you're going to have to come out here. I need to talk to you about the behavior of your son. Her husband had been driving her car that week and he wrecked it. And she said on top of that, our cat had had ten kittens and that was two more than she had place settings for. And she said, man, what a confused, frustrating week that was. And I can imagine. And I'm quite sure that she felt if she could have found a good cave somewhere, used her otherwise, uh, that would have been fine with her just to escape to it to let the world go by. And now, if you've ever been in a place of frustration, and most of us have, where it seems that nothing goes right, everything goes wrong, and one is heaped upon another until at last you come to the frustrating place uh, where you want to escape. Now, if you've ever been in that position, you know precisely how poor old Elijah felt. He had tried his dead-level best to do good and what was right, and was working on it, and it just didn't turn out that way. And so he runs clear out of the country and goes up into the mountain and finds a cave. And there he is separated from the rest of the world. In fact, he was quite willing to let the world go its way. And he would protect himself as the best he possibly could. And here's where God finds him. And this is a question that God puts to him. Elijah, what are you doing here? Now the Lord knew full well why he was there. He, he knew full well. But do you get the point? Elijah, what are you doing here? Now if you turn over into the New Testament, the book of Acts, the first chapter and the 11th verse, you would find two men from heaven. And Jesus had just left the disciples there on the mountain. And after he has left them to go back to heaven, evidently they were standing around and had been standing there for a while. And the heavenly hosts are saying to the disciples, why stand here gazing into heaven? Why do you stand here looking up into heaven? Basically the same message is carried, whether it be in the Old Testament or the New Testament. I don't know why you need two people from heaven to come and to tell the disciples. Maybe he thought that they wouldn't believe the one or the one poor character needed some comfort and aid in taking his stand and saying what he did to the disciples. But nevertheless, the same message is carried here and the implication of the question. Elijah, what are you doing here? Disciples, what are you doing standing here looking into heaven? The question has all kinds of implications, and I'd like to call just two or three of them to your attention this morning. It implies perhaps a state of confusion, a state of confusion and frustration. Well, we know that's so. I think old Elijah, for whatever reason, and finally arrived at the place where he was completely frustrated. Now, folk, I want to say something here. And I want you to see something that is absolutely so. And you make the most of it as you will and can. And you see, we have a cheap religion going around today. And you hear it from many quarters. and said in a very profound and very beautiful way. Like only money can dress it up and make it said. That if you do what God calls you to do, everything's going to be easy, rosy, and fine. Well, now, folks, that is not so. That is not so. Now, that is a, a type of a false religion. I want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect person that ever hit this earth. And I want you to know what happened to him. I want you to know uh, that he didn't make any mistakes at all. And yet this world nailed him to a cross. Now, what do you make of that? 
Now I want you to know the old Elijah, if you read the, the few chapters before this, you remember he was there on the mountaintop and had a great experience with God. Man, what a fantastic experience. You remember the experience that he had with God where he had built an altar and the, the prophets of Baal had built an altar. And you remember that God came down in fire and, and accepted his, uh, his offering. And, and what a fantastic experience. Elijah was doing what God wanted him to do. But I want you to know, old Ahab, because of their background, and Jezebel didn't think he was so hot. And she would readily have killed him if she could have caught him and killed him. Now, does that sound like to you that uh, old Elijah wasn't doing what God wanted him to do? Well, let me tell you something. Now, that because you do do what God wants you to do, it might mean that you're going to lose a little hide. And a little skin. And it just might mean that you're going to suffer a little. And it might mean that you'll have to stand somewhere, someplace, somehow, and it be very uncomfortable for you. And it might mean because you take your stand and you stand because you know what you know, committed and dedicated to God, that there's going to be some people uh, that would just like to see you move on. Well, old Elijah was frustrated. What are you doing here? I remember one time at the church, and I forgot too what we were doing in the church, but one layman was talking to another one, and they didn't know the preacher was close enough to hear. And one layman asked the other, so what in the world are we doing? We was building something. I've forgotten what it was now around the church, fixing something, passing it up or doing something. And uh, one person said, asked us, so what in the world are we doing anyway? And the other layman said, well, I really don't know what we're doing, but... Uh, the preacher wants something done, and I'm just trying to help him do it, whatever it is. <laughs> well, that's not good enough. You know, we need to know what, what it is about and what we're called on. Our one has said, well, what are you doing here? He said, well, Tom asked me to come to church with him this morning, and that's why I'm here. Well, that's pretty good. Thank God for Tom that asked. But if that's the only reason that you're here because someone asked you, it's not quite good enough. Well, I love the old church, and I think I ought to be here. Well, that's a pretty good reason, but still, that's not good enough. Well, I came to hear the preacher. Well, that's not bad. He's always good. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if that's the only reason you're here, how are you going to go home just as empty as when you came? Because that won't quite buy it either, you see. Well, you say, well, I'm here because I'm trying to escape the realities of life. Now, we wouldn't come right out and say that, would we? Not really. Not really. But you see, isn't it interesting to note that this wonderful, fantastic gospel that the Lord Jesus Christ brought to us to steal us, to strengthen us, and to give us the grit and power and whatever else it takes to stand in a marketplace and make a difference in this world is one of the same religion that some people use to escape with. And this wonderful gospel of ours can be used as an escape mechanism from this world in which you and I live. And that is precisely the point that we're trying to make this morning. And it's just as effective and can be just as effective as old Elisha's cave was of long ago. Now, dear friends, I don't have to check your own life and your own heart and your own soul to know about what I'm talking. Because all I have to do is look within my own heart and soul and I can tell by what I see there alone. Uh, that uh, I have a tendency to want to be able to use this gospel of mine that Christ has given to me to isolate myself. To insulate myself from this world, you see. Yes, I know what it is for old Elijah. I know precisely why. Lord, I'm the only one left. You ever felt that way? Lord, I'm the only one left in the church that really cares. 
The rest of those critters, they don't really care. Well, there's a $50 reward for that, for the capture and the conviction of the guy that are persons that brought all that rubbish and dumped it on the back part of our property back there. You, you now you go out and find them and you're $50 richer, you see. Well, no one of us cares about the church but me. You see, basically, that's what old Elijah was saying. Well, we felt that way. You felt that way. And more than a few have felt that way. I guess that's the reason we don't do more in a church or we've stopped coming, you see. No one really cares or care the way that I care. An escape mechanism. This gospel that Lord Jesus Christ brought to us, this word that, that Christ brought to us from God that can be within a person's heart and soul and mind, can so fulfill it and so empower him. Uh, that each day I can take my place in the marketplace or wherever it is within our society and I can stand and I can stand and I can stand. Now that's what we're talking about. Now in order to do that, it can't be any frustration here at all. You see, I'm here because I have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Now that's number one. I've got two feet to stand on here. Number one, I have accepted Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. Secondly, I have accepted Him as my Lord. He's my Savior and my Lord. Now that Lordship implies that I am where my Lord wants me to be. And it happens not to be in the cave at this time. It happens to be not that I am trying to insulate myself from this cold, cruel, mixed up, frustrated world in which I live. No, no. That's not what he's calling on. He's calling for us to take our place in the world and through him to be empowered by his Holy Spirit to be what we need to be as an answer to this world in which you and I live. And I want to tell you, dear friends, it's available. Now, he's not going to give you enough strength today for tomorrow. But you trust him today and you'll receive enough to be the person that you need to be uh, this very day. This day. This day. Strength to stand in the marketplace. Well, secondly, what are you doing here? May has could have the implication of that you're not doing what you ought to do. You're not doing what you ought to do. Now, that is precisely the point both of the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is why God was speaking to Elijah. And this is why the two people from heaven, that heavenly host, were speaking to the disciples of long ago. So whether it be the old or the new, it comes out the same way. And what one might do is not necessarily so bad either. Not necessarily so. Within itself, it wasn't so bad for old Elijah to be up there upon that mountain in that cave. But you think in relation to what he was doing and what he should be doing, and then you see something of the greatness of the evil of it. It wasn't so bad for the disciples standing out there looking up into heaven like, you know, just standing there gazing into heaven. But you think of that in light of what God wanted them to do back in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the other most parts of the world. In my mind's eye, I can see a man quite capable. He has a family. He's minding his own business. He's taking care of his sheep and his herds and he's taking care of his father-in-laws and, and doing a right good job. And there he is out there in that pasture land, that peaceful, quiet place, just wherever the sheep and goats move while he would move his tent and his family right along with him. Just a wonderful, just having a good time, letting the world go by. Well, now you look at that situation, we envy him of that sometime, and think about the peaceful setting and, and how simple life really is. 
Uh, there's nothing too bad about that, is it? The only one thing wrong with it, that this man was where God didn't want him to be. And that made it wrong. You see, that makes it wrong. I don't care how good it is, how wonderful it is. I don't care if the cave is platinum lined and gold plated. It doesn't make any difference how wonderful, how comfortable, how conditioned you've got it. If there's where you are and it's not the place where God wants you to be, dear friend, it's completely and totally wrong. Old Moses was out there in the plains just enjoying life. But back in Egypt, God's people were dying. They were living in slavery. He needed him over there doing something about those people whom that he loved and cared for. And that's what made it wrong. You see. Well, I joined the church 20 years ago. But I haven't done much about it. I've been a Christian a long time. But I never really got around thinking about tithing. I remember a layman... One time, how could I ever forget it? I've only had a few of these folks that ever said this to me. He might as well have said it to me this morning. I can remember just that readily. And this man, an illness came on him quickly. And it's seemingly the doctor said it was a very serious one. Well, in fact, he thought he was going to die. He thought he was going to die. And put him in the hospital. And the doctor told me, he says, Preacher, now what you need to do is prepare this man for the inedible. He's going to die. He's not going to be here too long. Well, we prayed the best we could. This man was a good man, had a little family, and we prayed. As one of these fantastic things that happened when the doctor finally made, how do you count for this? When the doctors made their incision in the body of this man, and they knew what they were going to find before they did, but they just wanted to double check it, they found that uh, what he had took a drug that cost 45 cents a bottle at that time, probably cost twice that much now, cost 45 cents a bottle, they stitched him back up, take this drug for three weeks, and everything would be fine. And he recovered immediately, totally, still living, still going. And this man came to me after he got out of the hospital, about a couple of weeks, he said, Preacher, I want to tell you something. He says, anything around this church that you need done, anything in the church, about the church, around the church, anything, anything that you need to have done, you want me to be involved in, if you think that I'm capable of doing it, now listen to it, if you think that I'm capable of doing it, he says, you tell me, and I'll try. There's no wonder I remember. He says, I'll try. Now the question is, why do we wait until God shakes us over the grave before we wake up to the awesomeness the beauty, the wonder of life. Why can't we wake up right now and know that this day is a fantastic day and that we have a fantastic opportunity and possibilities together this day? But why don't we see that we are alive today and isn't it wonderful that we have strength to be able to go and to come and to do those things that we love to do? Some things that we ought to stop doing and some things we ought to start doing. You know, the truth of it is, our sin can be found to a great extent in this everlasting running that you and I do. Has there ever been a time in the history of man when there were more people busier than we are? I was talking to a man in this city not too long ago, has a company, and he's already made his fortune. I suppose that if he wanted to, he could retire and go to anywhere in this great land of ours and spend the rest of his days without worrying about uh, whether his ne where his next meal was coming from. But he was thinking back and we were reminiscing a little bit and 
He was talking about his grandmother. He said when he went to see his grandmother on the farm, on a Sunday especially, in order to have dinner, about this time of year, that she would go out in the yard and find a nice plump chicken and lift its head and pluck it and fry it up. And she wanted potatoes, she went into the garden and dug the potatoes. And she wanted beans, she went into the garden and picked them and broke them. And she wanted water, she went to the old pump and had to pump it. And if she wanted biscuits, she had to heat up that old wood stove and fire it up and, and do all the things that they needed to do back on the farm. Well, some of us know about those situations and think about them and, and how grandmother took care of the garden and, and did all of those kind of things every day to have a meal. And now we come to this age in which you and I live and we have no garden. We don't have to pluck any chickens or dig any potatoes or pick any beans or draw any water or chop any wood. And we don't have to make any biscuits. And yet, there has never been a society more pooped out than ours. One. Now here again, dear friends, I'm not talking to your soul anymore than I'm talking to mine. I look within my own heart and soul and I find here part of the frustration of my life. And I realize as I look back across my ministry, trying to do a job, I realize that I have been caught up in a great deal of unnecessary running. Now, what am I running for? Oh, well, I'd like to thank you for that, which was good for the most part. But then again, it might be that I was running from something that I had no business running from, you see. I see a man, let me explain it this way, on a luxury liner. I see this man taking a cruise in the South Pacific. And now we meet this man and, and talk to him and ask him, say, well, where are you going? Now, you could have said, well, I'm going on a business trip. I'm just going on a cruise. If he had told us, well, the truth of it is, my brother, if I be really honest with you, I'm running from God. What do you mean, Jonah? You're running? That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm running from God. Now, if someone would tell you that, you just feel like just dropping over in a faint. But think about it. How much of what we're involved in is running from God? Now we go from sun up to sundown in order that we might be able to have security and might be able to build up something and lay up this and lay up that and to be secure in this world and it doesn't make any difference. We know right now as we think about it in a very serious way that if we had half of this world cornered, that these souls of ours would be still insecure until at last they find their security in Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? It implies something of greatness. Oh, it does. I want you to see this. Now, I may not be too sure about these other things that I've said to you, though I think that I am, but this one I am dead sure of. It carries with it the possibility of doing something fantastic, especially when God asks us, you see. What are you doing? You just rest assured that he has something great in mind for you. Now take your Bible and turn to the 19th chapter and look at this 19th verse. Now listen to this. And the Lord said, Return to the wilderness near Damascus, then enter the city and anoint... What are you going to do? Listen to this. And anoint Hazel as king of Syria. Now get the picture in your mind. Here old Elijah is standing up around the mountain, think that he's the only one left, he's the only one that cares, so frustrated, beaten, and that he's up there alone. And God is saying to him, what are you doing up there? In relation to, in light of that, he says, I have something for you to do. 
I've got a king that I want you to anoint. Now, folks, don't get lost on the word king. What is it that God has in mind for us to do? Something as fantastic and as great? Yes, it is. If you were responsible and be responsible to God and his kingdom and his lordship and his saviorship, look what he has in mind for us to do. Elijah, I've got a king. I've got a man down there. Not king yet, but I need you to go down and talk to him and pour some oil on him and anoint him and set him aside as king over my people. That's not enough. You see, he's got another man, you see. And anoint Jehu, son of Nimish, as king of Israel. I've got a man down there that I've been working with, I've been preparing. I want him to be king of Israel. But I can't get him to be king of Israel until you give up this cave and get down there and do what you're supposed to do. And then I will have a man uh, that will be king of Israel. Now that should be enough. But look, look at this one. Oh my God, look at this one. Look at this one. Along in the 16th verse, he says, in effect, he says, there's a young man. Let me put it in my own words. He says, there's a young man. Elijah, there's a young man down there that I have my eye on. I've been preparing. I've been talking to him. I've got him lined up. He's out there in the field right now, and he's plowing with oxen. There's, there's 19 yoke of oxen ahead of him. He is the tail end of the whole bunch. Now, he's the youngest, you see, and so they put the, I've done this before, you know, they always put you way back in the line. They don't want you out front. You can't leave. You're too young. You don't know what's going on. You bring up the tail end of the whole situation. And so he says, now, if you go by down the road, you'll look out in the field, and you'll see some men out there, 20 of them, with 20 yoke of oxen, and there they are plowing. You see them going through the field, 20 of them lined up going down the field. He's bringing up the tail end of it. He's a 20th. Now, I want him to be my prophet. But he's not going to be until you get down there and call and tell him what's going on. Now he knows in his heart already, but he needs somebody to translate that into action. And you go. And his name is Elisha. Oh my God. Later on, you remember Elisha became one of the great prophets of Israel, of God's people. It is Elisha. And Second Kings, along about the sixth chapter, you remember that Elisha is the man that had access to the host of heaven. He actually commanded on one occasion the great and mighty army of God. He's the only one that I know that did it. But Elisha, there's a young preacher. Do you see? Listen, I have never been in a church where there's more capable young people than we have right here. If you and I will do what we ought to do, how do you know but what? God is not speaking to one of their hearts. May we be able with such love, wisdom, and understanding, create a fellowship here, where that if it is so in the infinite wisdom of God that he's talking to one of our young people, that they would be able to hear that call clearly and loudly. And then on top of that, he said, I've got 7,000 people down there. They're faithful to me. They're loyal. They're committed. I know they're there. Now I want you to get down there and I want you to be the preacher to those people that you ought to be. They need someone to talk to them. They need someone to tell them about me and about how I care for people and how I'm going to care for them. You need to get down there and tell them that I'm their God and I'm going to take care of them. And so we come back again. Elijah, what are you doing here? Well, I'm at this place. Because I have 
the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior and because He's my Lord. And so I take my stand and I stand. Oh, our Father, help us that it might be the truth of each one of us this morning. For we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started in making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 